All right. Good morning. How is everyone doing today? Oh no. Maybe back up a little. There we go. Okay. So, good morning. My name is Matt Chesney. I am really excited to be here and also a little nervous. And I'm a little nervous because the message I have for today is a little tricky, a little scary, potentially a little offensive. And so, uh, be prepared. I may offend you. Now, Jesus offended a lot of people during his time. He kind of, sort of did it on purpose. Um, but he was doing it with love. And so I want you to know right now, if I offend you, I'm doing it with love in my heart. I love you so much. Um, but the people Jesus offended when he was teaching, when he was preaching, tended to be the people that, um, you know, were really, really, really religious. Or the people that thought they knew the way things were and the way things ought to be. And he challenged that the way that they saw the world. And so, if you feel like you've got your stuff all together today, if that's you, uh, watch out. Today might just be for you. Um, also, if you are easily offended, you have the choice to completely ignore me and ignore Jesus. Because there were people back then that did the same thing. And we're going to talk about a couple of those people today as well. But that's not my hope for you. My hope is that you lean in and you listen to what Jesus has to say, and hopefully the Holy Spirit through me, because uh, this, is, this is not me. <laughs> this is definitely Jesus. So, let's start with why today's message might be so offensive. And it, what it has to come down to is the gospel that Jesus preached. See, during Jesus' ministry on earth, he spoke about four really big, what I'm going to call facts. Up there it says declarative statements. He declared several things. Um, and he talked about three responses. Up there it says imperative responses. Um, and the facts are easy. He preached the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is here, it is now. And okay, and people are like, okay, kingdom, I, I got that. And then he said, and there's a king of this kingdom, because kingdoms have to have a king, and that king is the Christ. And the people around that time period were like, well, yeah, we, we know that the Messiah is coming, and that's going to be the king of the kingdom. But Jesus was like, well, no, that, that the kingdom is here now, and the king is me. And so he was preaching those two things. And then he started to get a little crazy. And he said, by the way, this king, me, is going to die. I'm going to be killed by the people I've come to save. And they're like, whoa, wait a second. Why would we kill our king? And wait a second, we're still stuck on you're the king? And he said, but don't worry, don't worry. Because I'm going to die kind of on purpose here. I mean, I'm going to die to redeem all of creation. Not just dying for your sins, but dying for all of creation to set things right. And then, three days later, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to rise from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said all this. And he talked about this all the time. And some people kind of said, okay, I get this. Some people said, no, you're, you're crazy. Um, and people moved towards him. And people moved away from him. But the thing about these declarative statements is that um, they're, they're kind of like... 
truth, facts, statements, you can either accept them or you can deny them. It's pretty easy in terms of whether or not it offends you or not. Uh, you can say, yes, I believe that. Yes, that's true. Or no, I don't want to believe that. It's not true. And, and that's kind of the line. Well, Jesus didn't just come and, and talk about a bunch of facts. He also said that if you believe these facts, if you agree with these facts, then there should be some responses. And typically when he talked about the kingdom, he said things like, repent, the kingdom is here. So he's telling a fact, but there's also a response to that fact. You need to repent. And then he said things like, you need to believe the good news. And interestingly, the word for believe in in our English, in his time, in his language, didn't just mean I accept this as true. The word believe meant you change your whole life. You align your life to these facts. And that's, that's a whole lot bigger than just saying, oh, I believe that the sky is blue. This is, no, I believe that you are the king and I'm going to follow you. That's, that's a whole lot different. And then he asked them to follow. Follow me. In fact, when he called his very first disciples, he said, come, follow me. And... Um, That's what we're going to be focusing on a little bit today. Uh, What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because a lot of times, we in in church and outside of church with our friends, we say things like, oh, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christ follower. But what does that that mean? Does that mean like you're walking down a road and Jesus is in front of you and you're like following where? Uh, Does it mean that you're, you're doing everything he says to do? Does it mean like you go to church every Sunday? Is that what Jesus wants you to do when you're following him? And so today, that's maybe why things are going to get a little bit offensive. Because we're going to talk about what it means to actually follow Jesus. And our idea of what it means to follow Jesus. And Jesus' idea of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, just some quick info facts about this. Um, There's a bunch of false gospels out there today. Um, a whole bunch of them. There's the forgiveness only gospel, the gospel of the left, the gospel of the right, the consumer gospel, prosperity gospel. And I'm not going to go into all of these different gospels, but there's a lot of things out there that churches today, people today, like to hold on to. And in every single one of these false gospels, and I'll, I'll pick on the forgiveness only gospel for just a second, um, following Jesus... It's always absent. For example, in the forgiveness only gospel, it basically says that if you pray a prayer, if you give your life to Jesus, He forgives you and you're set. Sometimes we like to joke around that that's like fire insurance. You know, you're just, you're just believing in God so you can get the fire insurance so you get to go to heaven. Like, that's, that's it. That's all we're doing. But it leaves out half the stuff Jesus was talking about. He said to repent. He said to believe. He said to follow. And none of these gospels, none of these false gospels, says anything about a response, about doing something, other than check off this box and you're all set. So, let's let's think about this a second, because... I thought, and maybe you're thinking this right now, and maybe you're even getting a little angry with me, wait a second, Matt. 
isn't my salvation secured? I mean, that forgiveness only gospel sounds kind of right. I mean, I gave my life to Christ. And when I gave my life to Christ, He's got me. Like, I am His. So, I'm all set, right? Like, I don't really have to do anything else, right? I mean, let's take a look at this verse. Because... Um, This is one of our favorite verses. We say this in church all the time. We say this with our friends. We say this when we're talking to unbelievers and trying to convince them. It says, for whoever wants to save their life, wait a second, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So we've got to lose our lives? Lose our lives. Huh. By the way, if this, this isn't strong enough for you, the uh, Greek word here for life is actually uh, the word psychene. And the word psychene literally means soul. Soul. So we read this again. It says, for everyone wants to save their soul, will lose it. But whoever loses their soul for me and for the gospel will save it. There's something going on here. We've got to do something. We've got to lose... Okay, now, now we're getting creepy and weird. We've got to lose our souls. We've got to lose our lives. We've got to give our lives for the gospel. Alright. Matt, you're confusing me. <laughs> what, what is Jesus talking about? What does this mean? So, Jesus was very, very clear every single time he was talking to people. And he talked about something called the cost of following him. He said, there's a cost when you follow me. Um, it, it wasn't fine print. He put it up in the headlines. And, and, and this, is, this is a pretty good example of it here in Luke. He said, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? So what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you're going to build something, you're going to figure out the cost. A lot of you are thinking about following me, Jesus, and you haven't even realized what it's going to cost you. I'm trying to tell you it's going to cost you your whole life. So don't just, I mean, I want you and my family, I want you to follow me, but you need to know it's a commitment. It's something big that you're doing here. So we get stuck on this idea that salvation is free. And no, that's, that's a lie. That is a lie. Salvation is not free. It cost Jesus his life. It's a gift. Jesus gave us this gift, salvation. But that doesn't mean it was free for him. It cost him his life. So when we have this notion in our head that salvation is free, we're discounting the cost that Jesus paid. And we're discounting what we owe, so to speak, to him for that gift. It's not free. Salvation is a gift, but following Jesus does have a cost. So, let's talk about that. Um, Let's talk about some of these costs. 
bunch of different verses. Um, a disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. That's, that's a cost. I'm more important than your family. Whoa. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. He says, no, I'm more important than your stuff. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. I'm more important than your comforts. You're going to be persecuted for following me. When you follow me, your life is going to get harder. That's a new one for some of us, because a lot of times we like to tell people, and hopefully we don't, but as soon as you follow Jesus, your life gets so much easier, because then you've got God on your side. No. God is on your side. He loves you. He's there for you. But oftentimes, when we become a believer, when we become a follower of Jesus, we become a target for the enemy. We were low on his radar previous to that. Now we're front and center. He's after us. Life gets harder when we follow Jesus. They persecute us. So, we need to count the cost. Peter and Andrew left their lives and their business and their family all behind to follow Jesus. Would you do that? Will you do that? Would you leave everything you have? Would you leave your work? Would you leave your family? Would you leave the comforts of your home to follow Jesus? That's a really tough question. I mean, some of us are inclined to say, yeah, yeah, of course I would. It's Jesus. But is there evidence that you're doing that in your lives? And I don't, again, I'm not trying to be accusatory here. I'm not trying to come down hard on you. Speaking with love, because I have trouble with this a lot. A lot. We all have idols. We all have things that we value. And God says, Jesus says, I'm more important than all of those things. Will you follow me? Earlier, I mentioned that there were some people around that, when Jesus was teaching that were a bit offended. They heard what he has to say, and they didn't want to hear it. And we're going to look at one of them right now. Uh, This guy says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. He's really excited. He fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is awesome. And I am really excited that this is in the Bible and that the Holy Spirit included it in the text for us to learn from because this is a direct question to Jesus And Jesus gives a direct answer. I mean, where else in the Bible are you going to find, okay, I want to get into heaven. What do I got to do? And Jesus literally answers the question. Here's what he says. Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is important. He's about to put some hard truth on this guy's life, but he loves him. I'd imagine he's probably also a little sad because he knows the man's heart before he even speaks. But he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
And then Jesus chased after him and said, Wait, no, stop, just pray this prayer and you're good. Oh wait, no, that, that didn't happen in the story. Jesus let him walk away. See, he gave him the answer to the question he asked. He said, this is what you've got to do. And then he loved him so much that he allowed him to make the choice. You asked a question. This is what you have to do. Now you get to make the choice. And we all have the same choice. We have the choice that we can choose to follow Jesus. Or we can choose our own lives, our own comforts, the things we want. And those choices have consequences. For this man, he had an idol. Something that he valued more than God. His lifestyle, his comforts, his money, his wants, his whatever. Um, and Jesus knew this and recognized this and said, if you want to follow me, that you have to give up that idol first. But Jesus calls us to sacrifice our idols, including our lives and follow him. Now, if this sounds scary to you, and it sounds scary to me, you're not alone. His disciples freaked out, because they were there when he said this. Like, they were walking with him when this guy came up. And, and they, they straight up asked Jesus after this guy's walking away. They said, wait a second, um, Jesus, if this is what you're asking us to do, who then can be saved? Like, is this even possible? And Jesus looks at them and he says, With man? No, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up because, you know, Peter, he's got a teacher's pet kind of guy, always has to raise his hand, volunteer stuff. But we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus continues and he responds to that. He says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Along with persecutions, you're going to be persecuted. And in the age to come, eternal life. Why is this making us so uncomfortable? Why weren't we taught this all along? And maybe we were. But it's difficult to hear. It's difficult to grasp. And it's more difficult to live. And it might be because you've been exposed by a world where they champion false gospels. Where they love the forgiveness only gospel because I get to go to heaven when I die and I don't have to do anything. Or the prosperity gospel. And, And... A lot of times some of these verses in here get confused with the prosperity gospel in terms of, if I follow Jesus, I'll get more than I have. But all those things leave out something really important. And by the way, Paul predicted that you and I would be sitting here in this room uncomfortable with these things. And he wrote it right here. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, what am I asking you to do? More than that, because who cares about me? 
What is Jesus asking you to do? Is he asking you to go out and do stuff? Because that sounds a lot like works salvation. I mean, okay, Matt, we know that we're not saved through works, right? Um, we're saved by grace. I mean, look at this. Let's read this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Matt, I don't know what you're asking us to do up here, because my salvation, I, I'm, I was saved by grace. We love these verses. The problem is, um, very often, we cherry pick those two sentences, those two verses, 8 and 9. And um, we don't continue to verse 10. I mean, 8, 9, 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want to focus on that. Can we go back a slide real quick? I want to focus on that little phrase right there. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Salvation is a gift. We were saved by grace but we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What does that mean? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That confused me for a very long time. Because if I go back to when I was born, I typically I think of that as my creation. I was born. Was I created then in Christ Jesus to do good works? I don't know. I was created by God, but I was born sinful and, and bad. I mean I, I mean, I was two years old. No one taught me how to lie. I just came out lying. I mean, that's, we, we all have that sinful nature. So was I created to do good works? Or was it when I gave my life to Jesus, when, when, I, when I decided to follow him? I mean, I think that's what happened. I was baptized. The Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came into me, I was a new creation. So maybe that's when I was created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So I've got a little analogy here for you. And I don't want you to freak out about the science, because it's not about the science. So if you don't understand any of the science on the board, that's okay. Um, but I want to use this as an example. Because I love using examples from our world around us, creation, to show how God does things. Um... This is a chemical formula. That thing on the left, that 2Na, that's a, an element called sodium. Um, the next thing, Cl, that's chlorine. I want to talk about chlorine real quick. Chlorine, we're going to pretend like that's us in this equation. Chlorine is a poisonous gas with a strong odor that was used to kill a whole lot of people during World War I. They dropped chlorine gas bombs on people and it just destroyed people, killed them. That's us. We're chlorine. We're poisonous, we stink, and we kill a lot of people. Okay. Sodium. Sodium is a highly, highly, highly reactive element. You put sodium with just about anything and it reacts. Stuff happens. We're going to say that's Jesus. Jesus came around to other people, he encountered other people, things happened. He was reactive. Now watch what happens when you take sodium, something highly reactive, and you put it together with chlorine, a poisonous gas that stinks and kills a bunch of people. You get NaCl. 
which is salt, table salt, stuff we put on food. And, and, and just a little side note, I think it's kind of funny that in the Bible it says that we're like the salt of the earth. Um, you, you take God, something highly reactive, you put it together with something poisonous and deadly and stinky, and it gives you salt. In fact, when this reaction takes place, this, this chemical reaction, if you've ever seen this reaction, it's really cool. I'll kind of describe it for you the best I can. You can take an amount of sodium that's um, about the size of uh, the, the size of a thumbtack. In fact, that's a lot of sodium if you used a thumbtack. You put that with chlorine. It creates this gigantically bright light. So bright that you probably have to turn your eyes away. You can't even look at it because it's so bright. Heat is released. It's super hot. Fire, flames, almost an explosion takes place. Energy is released. That's the end there. Because when it goes through a chemical reaction, it's called an exothermic reaction, which again is not important. But tons of energy is released. Well, that's what happens with us. See, <coughs> excuse me, when God combines with us, energy is released. It says it right there in the Bible. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. We're no longer chlorine, we're no longer this poisonous, stinky, killing thing. We're now something new. But, unlike that chemical reaction where it goes, it's really bright, can't even look at it, super hot, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and He's constantly reacting with you. You are constantly undergoing this change. And it says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the end of the day of Christ Jesus. Which means that this energy is constantly being released. It's not just a and done. Have you ever heard that you're called the light of this world? It's because you've got the living God living inside of you. He's reacting with you. He's changing you. He's taking your sinful human nature all the time and He's changing it, releasing energy. You are that light in this dark world. Well, if energy is being released, and that energy, by the way, is that Holy Spirit, that energy that's being released, um, then God isn't opposed to energy or effort. What He's opposed to is earning. So when we talk about works-based salvation, yet God doesn't want you to earn your salvation. It was a gift. But He does expect you to do something about it. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Wait a second, we're going to do greater than Jesus? Yep. Greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. In the Bible, John fourteen twelve, it actually says, 
you will do greater things than Jesus. Crazy. Because whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. It's changing you. It's releasing energy to do good works. That doesn't mean you do good works to get saved. That means once you've been saved, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's changing you. It's releasing energy. And you will do good works. Listen, the best example I can give you um, is not the, the science example. The best example I can give you is to remind you that the church, you, is described in the Bible as the bride of Christ. We are the bride. The church is the bride. We are married to him as believers and followers. And, like a marriage, after you say, I do, the real work begins. I mean, I don't know about you, but I got married 12 years ago, and um, when I got married, all the hard stuff started. Things were beautiful and amazing when we were dating and, and we were fiancés and we got to go around and we were talking about our home and we were talking about our lives. And then what did I do and bad stuff started happening. We, had, we bought a home and then we got mortgages and then we got kids. And then those aren't bad things, but it's stressful and it's crazy. And then we got fights and arguments and, oh goodness, and then <laughs> jobs and sickness. And my wife, she got really sick and now she can't work. Oh my gosh, what are we supposed to do? Now I can leave her. No, I love her. The real work begins. Those vows that we pledged when we got married kick in. Always. You have to work at loving each other. We are the bride of Christ. We have to work at it. So now you may be asking, alright Matt, I'm with you. But what kind of work, what kind of service does God expect from me? I mean, I am itty bitty bitty little human. God is gigantic. And I heard you say that we're going to do bigger things than him. But what does he want from me? What am I supposed to do? And this is the really cool part. Because he's actually individually gifted all of you with the exact gifts and predispositions and enthusiasm for the work that he already wants you to do. I mean, if you're good at talking to people, that's what he wants you to do. If you're good at art, that's what he wants you to do. He's already gifted you with the things that he wants you to do. He just wants you to do it for him. Our job is to recognize these gifts and use them. Now, this might mean that we have to go to some of our leaders sometimes, or ministry leaders, and say, listen, I really like working with kids, so can I try out working with the youth? Because maybe I'm good at that. And maybe you go in there and you find out you're amazing at it. Maybe you go in there and you find out, no, I like kids, but I'm not working with the youth. That, that, that's not my gift. That's okay. But you've got to try things. Now, Eagle Ridge, which is where I'm from, I am the youth pastor over at Eagle Ridge, but I'm not just the youth pastor. Um, I was hired about two years ago at Eagle Ridge because of my background. I was a high school principal, and I built two high schools, one in Arizona, one in Michigan, um, from the ground up. And um, then I changed my career and I became a youth pastor because God said, hey, I need you to use your, your gifts and the things I've given you for me. 
Okay, so I, I obeyed and I followed. But Eagle Ridge brought me on board because they realized they had a problem, a big problem. Um, for the last 15 years, maybe longer, Eagle Ridge was incredibly inwardly focused. I'm not trying to hate on the church, um, but they were focused about themselves. What programs can we add for our people? What things can we do for our kids? What events can we have that people will like? How can we draw people to us? What can we do here? And about three and a half years ago, they, they went through this change, this evolution. And they realized that um, God never once says, build lots of programs, do lots of cool stuff, bring lots of people into your church. He says, go and do things for others. Serve. Use the gifts I've given you. All the stuff I'm talking about today. And they said, okay, well, we have no idea how to do that. We have no clue. So, I was applying to be their youth pastor because they needed a youth pastor. And they saw on my resume that I had been a high school principal and I had built a couple of high schools. And they said, hey, Matt, listen, we got this great idea. Can you not only be our youth pastor, but can you come and help us build something new? I said, sure. What are you, what are you looking to build? And they said, we have no idea. We don't have a clue. Here's what we know. We want it to be external from ourselves. I was like, okay, like a new church? I said, eh, maybe. I don't know. We want it to serve other people. Okay. And we don't want any of the credit. Like, okay, so you want me to help you build something new that's outside of Eagle Ridge that serves other people and you get zero credit. Yes. And you have no idea what you want to do. Right. Can you do that for us? I'm like, no. <laughs> but I'll, I'll try. Um, so I came in. And over the course of my first year there, I got to know Midland the best I could in the surrounding areas. I, I learned everything I could about Midland. I tried to find out what Midland needed. Is there something that we can do to serve Midland? And you know, Midland's got a lot of money and they do a lot of things for people there. They've got all these programs and services and stuff. And the more I looked at it, the more I just became really discouraged. And I was like, you know, they already do a lot. And I have no idea what we're supposed to do. So I kind of sort of gave up. And um, I went to a conference down in Florida. And they, um, they were talking about the church. And they were talking about how the church is not a building. The church is not a place where you come to worship. The church is believers, people. We are the church. And they said, if you're trying to plant a new church, you don't need a building. You don't need a piano. You don't need anything. You just need a group of people praising God. That's all you need. That's a church. So if you want to plant a church, just get a group of people in an area together praising God. You've got, a, you've got yourself a church. And that kind of changed my mindset quite a bit. And I said, okay. Well, one of my original questions was, can we plant a church? And they said, maybe, maybe we should just try to plant a church. And so I went and I got a map of the Midland area. And I plotted every single church on this map. And I realized that, oh my goodness, there are a ton of churches. Midland doesn't really need another church. 
But then I remembered, wait a second, um, churches in the building. It does need more churches. There's tons of people in Midland that don't know Jesus. What can we do? And I noticed on the map that there was this big spot right in the top part of Midland that was blank. There were no churches. And I took a closer look and I looked at that spot and I'm like, what is over there? And I realized, oh, it was the Midland Mall. Of course there's no church. It's the mall. And then I said, wait a second. Maybe we could build a church inside the mall. Wasn't my idea. I don't know where it came from. I, I do know where it came from. Um, I called up the mall. I said, hey, manager of the mall. Can we put a church inside your mall? They said, no, you cannot. I was like, oh, why not? Well, because you'd only be open on Sundays, and we need our shops to be open throughout the week so that people can come in and shop and do things. I was like, oh. And now I was feeling a bit snarky because I just got told no, and I don't like to be told no. And I was like, well, what if we were open the other five days, six days of the week selling coffee? I'm like, yeah, you can do that. I was like, oh, wait a second. Okay, thanks. Goodbye. And we had a conversation with our team. And what we decided to do is... We forgot the church idea, but not really. We didn't build a church in the mall. We built a coffee shop. There's a coffee shop in the Midland Mall called Cultivate Coffee and Tea. If you walk in, you will not find the name Eagle Ridge anywhere. You actually won't find any crosses or Bible verses or things like that around the shop. But... We give away free coffee, and free tea, and free hot chocolate to anyone that comes in. It's a shop that gives away free beverages. And we accept donations, and so sometimes people come in and they grab a cup of coffee and they throw a couple bucks in there, and our costs are so low that the donations actually pay all of our bills. So it's self-sustaining. And people come in, and they say, hey... Can I get a cup of coffee? Sure. Here you go. It's free. What? It's free? And we're not actually there to give away free coffee. We're there to create a relational environment. Because here was the idea. We said, what if there was a way that we could create a place where people could gather and we could build relationships with them? We could get to know them over the course of days, weeks, months, develop relationships with them, and through those relationships we could introduce them to Jesus. Not beat them over the head with our Bibles as they're walking through the door, but through a relationship, introduce them to Jesus. And we're there to serve three groups of people. The mall employees are number one. There are a ton of people in the Midland Mall who work minimum wage jobs, take the bus to get there, they have, which means they have to arrive an hour before their shift because the bus schedule is all wonky. So they get there an hour beforehand. They have to wait an hour after their shift to take the bus home. They've got no lunch room, no break room. So where do they hang out? In our coffee shop. Because we give them free coffee and tea and hot chocolate. And there's tables and couches and chairs and board games and checkers and chess. And people there that want to talk to them. I've been working at this shop for the last two and a half months. I know almost every single employee of the Midland Mall. I know their names. I know their stories. I know Vanessa, whose father has cancer. I've prayed with her. I know Diane, who is so excited that she keeps a countdown of the, how many days she has left until she retires. By the way, it's about 162. 
days until she retires. I know these people, and I never actually thought that I'd get a chance to share my testimony or to share the gospel with anyone until like three, four, five months out. I have shared the gospel of Christ with probably seven to ten people already. In two months! Just by getting to know them and talking with them. And I'm working there as a volunteer. Everyone that works there is a volunteer. We came up with an idea where we could serve other people, get to know them, develop relationships, and share Jesus. Now, I'm talking to you all about this because Pastor David asked me to. He said, man, I I am excited about what you guys are doing at Cultivate, and I think our people can get involved. Can you please come and talk to our people? I said, sure. Because here's the cool thing. We love volunteers from anywhere. Obviously, when we opened up the shop, everyone that was a volunteer there was from Eagle Ridge. Now, only about half the volunteers are from Eagle Ridge. The other half are random people that have come into our shop and who have said, wow, this place is amazing. Can I volunteer here? You can, but... You need to sit down with one of us and make sure you're on the same page as us as what we're doing here. Okay. And we explain to them, here's what we're doing. We're getting to know people, developing relationships with them, so that through those relationships we can introduce them to Jesus. That sounds amazing. I want to be a part of that. Cool. Start volunteering tomorrow. And some people, oh, yeah, no, that's that's not for me. I don't really really know who this Jesus is. I had a kid come in. 12 years old, said he wanted to volunteer. He said, I don't even know anything about God. I said, well, I mean, you know Christmas, right? And he's like, yeah, I know Christmas. I love Christmas. I said, okay. And you know what Christmas is all about. Yeah, presents. No. I mean, you know that Christmas was when we celebrate Jesus' birth. No, I never knew that. He had never heard in his entire life that Christmas was about Jesus. He thought Easter was about an Easter bunny. He had no idea that that was about Jesus' resurrection, death, resurrection. He had no idea. He started volunteering the next week. Every time he comes in to volunteer, we read a chapter of Mark together. We talk about the book of Mark together. He's learning about the gospel of Jesus while he's volunteering and serving people because he was so excited about volunteering there. He was like, well, I want to learn about this stuff. So every week, he comes in, he volunteers. We do Bible study together, teaching him all about Jesus. That's just me. Everyone. If this sounds like something you want to do, if you want to volunteer, come up and talk to me or just stop by the mall shop. It's, it's right there in the mall. You can just walk in and say, I want to volunteer. Or I want to know more. We'd love to have you there. An hour a week, two hours a week, every day, whatever you want. You can just come and hang out in there and see what's going on. You can bring your friends and family and meet them for coffee, which is free, and play a game of checkers. Whatever. It is a really awesome place. And every time someone asks, why are you doing this? Like, this is so strange. Who gives away stuff for free? Why are you doing this? We're a nonprofit. We're just trying to serve other people. It's so cool.
Thanks. We hope that you make this your hangout. Now, it's maybe a little sneaky, I suppose. But, again, we're not, we're not trying to hide things from people. We're not trying to, again, beat people over the head with their Bibles. We're developing a relationship because we believe nothing significant, nothing truly significant happens outside the context of a relationship. And, uh, and through those relationships, we'll know. <laughs> nope, that person right there is not ready for me to talk to them about Jesus. But if it's truly a relationship, if we're truly getting to know these people, then they're getting to know us too. And I can't tell my story without including Jesus in it. That's a big part of my story. So it doesn't mean I have to share the gospel, but I'm going to share my testimony as I get to know people. It's pretty cool. So, back to the message. You've got gifts. You've got talents. We had no idea what God was having us do. When Pastor Bill over at Eagle Ridge and the group, the board hired me, they had no idea what we would end up doing. I had no clue. I hate coffee. I don't even drink coffee. And I work at a coffee shop five days a week. <laughs> I volunteer. Um, the whole idea is that you're obedient. You follow Jesus. You use the gifts that you've been given. Because, here's the deal. If God is reacting with you, if we go back to the sodium chlorine thing, if God is reacting with you, and He's changing you, there's going to be evidence of that reaction. When sodium interacts with chlorine, it's so bright we have to look away. It's that bright. It's that hot. If God is reacting with you, if He's changing you, there should be evidence of that reaction. And if you can't see the evidence of that reaction taking place in your life, then that scares me because that might mean that you're inert. That's a science term that means dead. Unreactive. In the Bible, we'd call that divorced from God. And uh, it's not what I want for you. I want you married to Him. I want you loving Him. I want Him loving you. I want you reacting together and doing greater things than Jesus. Because He's working through you. Alright, let's pray. And have a good afternoon. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this group of people. And thank you so much for sending your son to die for us and to give us an example and to teach us what it is that you want from us. Lord, we, we can't do this on our own. And thankfully, you know that. And you sent your spirit to dwell inside of us and to change us. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that you would highlight, you would accentuate, you would make clear to them the gifts that you've blessed them with. The dispositions, the joys, the talents, so that they can, through you, do good works. Lord, as we, uh, as we close up this service, I thank you for being with us always, giving us comfort, giving us joy, and guiding us. It's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.